praise and sit down. Hallelujah. Um, if you could open up your Bibles to the book of Acts with me. I'm going to teach you guys something that God is showing me. And I pray it will bless you. I pray that it will bless you. How's everyone doing today? Good weekend. Beautiful weather this weekend. Go out and enjoy today after church. Go have an outdoor lunch. Be good for you. Breathe in some of that air, man. All right, here we go. How many of you has God just been good to you uh, this week? God's just been faithful. God has woken you up. All right, seven of you. Oh, the rest of you are walking in here dead. All right. All the dead attendees, welcome. We, we invite dead people in here. Acts chapter 26. If you're there, give me an amen so I don't go ahead of you. Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. You guys know how the Bible works in the front part. You got to not, if you don't know where the books are, it tells you where all the books are. You have a table of contents, find the book of Acts, go to chapter 26, and let's roll with this. Today I'm going to share a message, and it deals with our vision, and, um, and it deals with um, not necessarily what we spoke about weeks ago, but it's a whole kind of different twist towards our vision. One of the, uh, one of the passages that I want to speak to you about is a, patch, is a passage that spoke to me, and it's this passage right here in Acts 26. Let me explain to you. Let me give you some history of what's going on so you could grasp um, this part of Scripture real quick. In Acts 26, you got a, a point of Paul's life where he's reaching the end. He's not necessarily at the end, but he's reaching the end. There's not much life anymore in Paul. He's almost there. He's almost ready to, to receive his crown of life. He's almost ready to write that letter that says, I have finished the faith. I have I've kept the faith. I finished the race. You know, he's almost there to write that to Timothy. He's, he's almost at that point. Well, you need to know a little bit about Paul. Paul wasn't always this amazing Paul. Paul was actually um, an enemy of Christians. And he was killing Christians in the favor of doing it for God. He was like, I'm doing God a favor. I'm killing these wackos that call themselves Christians. And, and we're going to jump into that, and, and you're going to see this. But what happens with Paul, something happens in his life. He's an enemy of a Christian, but then this transformation happened to him. He had this encounter with God that changed his life forever, right? And when his life changes forever, something amazing happens. He starts to receive persecution, he starts to go through hardship. The enemies against them, which is enemies of darkness, began to rise up. And we find ourselves now in Paul's life where he's chained up and about to be imprisoned. Okay? And who he's confronting is a king. And the king's name is Agrippa. Say that name. I don't know. I just like the way it comes out of your mouth. Agrippa. Right? Maybe it's just a me thing. But he approaches King Agrippa, and he has all these Jews and all these Jewish leaders, and they're persecuting Paul. They're accusing, better word said, they're accusing Paul. Everyone with me? And as they're accusing Paul, he now needs to face the king, King Agrippa. And as he faces him, look what he says in chapter 26, verse 1. So Agrippa looks at Paul and says, Paul, you are permitted now to speak. Give an answer, speak for yourself. 
So Paul stretches out his hand, and he begins to answer for himself. And in verse 2, it says, King Agrippa, today I see myself happy. I consider myself happy today. Because today I will answer for myself before you all the things in which I am accused by the Jews. I mean, notice what he's saying here. He's standing before the king and he says, I'm happy because they continue to accuse me and today I'm going to stand up for what is going on. I'm going to skip, right? Because what happens now from verse 3 all the way to verse 18, Paul begins to describe something that I'm going to describe in a little bit. And he starts to say, this is what they're saying about me. This is what truly happened and this is what I got to say. Okay? After he's done explaining and he's giving his own argument before the king. Can everyone put their eyes on verse 19? And this verse right here is what led me to preach today's message. Here it is. Verse 19. If you're there, give me an amen. amen. All right, don't miss this. He says, after he's done explaining himself, he says, Therefore, Agrippa, king, look what he says. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. You guys catch that? He, he begins to describe everything that's gone in his life. King Agrippa's like, Paul, what's wrong with you? What have you done? He's like, let me answer. Here it is. When he's done answering, he says, do you want to know why I live like this? And the king is like, why are you here? And he's like, I'm here because I never was disobedient to the vision that was given to me from God. And that's what led me to share today's message. I love Paul's admittance here. I love it. I love what he's admitting to. And we're going to jump into this. He, in what he is admitting here, he knew very well that he was a, what he was about to say could eventually bring heavy persecution, even stronger than what it's become, to his life and could even bring possible death. Paul knew that. I want you to understand. Listen, when Paul was standing before King Agrippa, he recognized this. If I say the truth, I can be killed. That's, that's, can you imagine living like that? Hey, if I say the truth today, I could be killed. That was Paul's life. That was the early Christian's life every single day when they woke up. There was nothing in Paul, though, that was going to deviate him from the heavenly vision. What do you mean? From the call that Christ showed him. I want you to know this. Nothing was going to lead him away from the call of Christ over his life. He says, King, I was not disobedient to the vision that God gave me. You know, that word vision, there's nothing deep, too deep about it right now that I could give you. If you look it up in the Greek, it could literally just mean your sight. It could literally just mean what you see. But I want to look at this word together, and I want to dig into this word and, how it, and what it might mean to us today. Okay? For us to understand what's going on here, you need to understand what Paul was doing. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, if you're taking notes, you could write that. And I'm just giving you an introduction, and I'm going to get into my message in a few minutes. Just give me a second. Let me just build it a little bit. Let me take a couple steps with you. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says this, that Paul, I, I need you to hear this, he was breathing threats and murder against the followers of Christ. Paul was breathing murder against Christians in chapter 9, verse 1. 
When you look at chapter 9, verse 1, and then you look at in chapter 26, there's a big change that took place, wouldn't you say? In Acts chapter 9, Paul's like, hey, Christians, everyone say, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Paul's like, I'm going to kill you. Everyone say, no. Okay, let's do that again. In Acts chapter 9, Paul says, hey, Christians, yeah. I'm going to kill you. No. Okay, totally different. Life goes on in his life, and now he finds himself in Acts chapter 26. And in Acts chapter 26, he says, hey, Christians. He says, I'm going to die for you and the Christ you represent. And all will say, yeah. You see, Paul went through a major change in his life. In Acts 9, he's like, I'm going to kill all of you. We're like, no, please don't. In Acts 26, he's like, now I die for the same Christ that you died for. And all the Christians are like, whoa, what happened to you? Paul went through this transformation from a few chapters of chapter 9 to verse 26. We see him completely transformed in 9. I'm going to kill every single one of you people that say you're of Jesus. And in 26, he's like, let me tell you why I'm being accused. Because I stand for Jesus. And I will never be disobedient to my vision of God. There's such a change in Paul's life. And in Acts chapter 9, let me explain to you what happened, what caused this transformation. How many of you want to know? Many of you already know, but I'm going to tell you anyways. In Acts chapter 9, he's walking. And as he's walking, check this out. He's going to a town to kill Christians, right? We all say no. And as he's on the way to this town to kill Christians, this is so important. The Lord appears to him with a shining light. Paul hits the ground and he begins to hear the voice of Christ saying, Why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, Is this you, O Lord? I'm going to explain to you what happens. I'm going to read verse 8 real quick if you're in Acts chapter 9. I'm still introducing today's message. Paul's blind on the floor. He's about to kill Christians. Jesus Christ in his glory makes him blind now. He's on the floor. His life is about to be transformed. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 8, it says this. Ready? Then Saul arose from the ground. He got up. Everyone say, get up. And when his eyes were opened, look what he says. It says he saw no one. Can I tell you what that means? He was blind. So they had to lead him by the hand and they brought him into Damascus, the place where he was going to go kill Christians. So in this process, he's like, what do I do now? I just heard from God. I, I understand God is real. Well, God goes and speaks to this man in Ananias. He says, Ananias, go see Paul. He's like, are you crazy? Paul's about to kill all of us. He's like, don't worry about it. I'm going to show him what he must live and suffer for my sake. He's like, all right, send me to Paul. I'm ready. After God introduces Paul to Ananias and what, God, what he was going to do to him, look what he tells Ananias and look what Ananias does in verse 17. Let's go to 17 and 18. And then we'll read one more verse and we'll get into the message. Ready? In verse 17... It says, Ananias, after he heard from God, he went his way, he entered the house, and he laid his hands on him. Who's him? On Paul. Remember, Paul's blind. And he said, Paul, brother Paul, I know he says Saul here, but we're going to go by his name, Paul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, he also appeared to me. And he sent me to you, watch what he says next, ready? So that you may, church, can you say those three words for me? So that you may receive 
your sight. And that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. It says, immediately, once he prayed for him, there fell from Paul's eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once. And look what it says next. Once Paul received his sight, church, what happened to Paul? He what? He what? I want you to look at Scripture the way Scripture is looked at and the way Scripture is called to be looked at. He was blind, he sees, and he gets up, he arises. And he was baptized into the Christian faith. Now, can everyone, my last verse as the introduction is verse 20. Go to verse 20. Watch this, how cool. Ready? Immediately, Paul. Immediately. Can you say that word? Immediately. Paul preaches Jesus the Christ in the synagogues that he is the what? The Son of God. That's the introduction. Did you just see a radical transformation take place? Paul's killing Christians. He's on the way to kill some more and arrest some more. You know what I'm talking about, Christian, right? Men, women, and children. Arrest them all. While he's on that road, Christ appears to him in his glory and blinds him and drops him on the floor. They have to take him by the hand to this land, and another man comes who is a believer of God, lays hands on him. The blindness is gone like scales, and he gets up again. And at that very moment that he's able to see, watch this, and he receives his vision. That's key. As soon as he receives his vision, he goes into the church, and in the church, his message is completely changed. The message that he was going to go to into the synagogue was, arrest all the Christians and let's take them to jail so we could kill them. And it transformed to, hey, everyone, forgive me. I was going to come over here to kill you, but I'm here to tell you that you're right. Jesus Christ is God. He's the son of the living God. And his life was completely transformed. How did this happen? Because he received a sight that he never had. I want you to know that. He was blind physically at one point and saw again physically at another but this whole physical transaction of him being blind, it's not what it's all about. Those are just things given to us in Scripture that has a deeper spiritual meaning than it does in the physical, okay? I want you to know that. Yes, Paul was made blind physically. And yes, he was given back his sight. But this great symbolism behind this blindness was deeper. It was about Jesus Christ revealing to him that he was blind spiritually, and he did not see clearly with his spiritual eyes. I need you to know that. Paul was going to kill, murder Christians, doing God a favor. He did not understand that he was killing the people of God. See, all within minutes, he's breathing threats of arrest and murder, and suddenly Christ appears, and in verse 20, it shows us that immediately Paul begins to preach Jesus the Christ. And that he is the son of God. The very teaching that he was against. The one that he was persecuting. He now was preaching and defending it within a short time. Guys, this is a message for some of you. Because some of you are waiting to hit your 10 mile mark to actually really serve God. God's like, kidding me? I changed Paul from one second to another. And the next second he was already preaching the gospel in the church. You don't need a a milestone 
to be this Christian, to be this servant of God. See, when you look at this passage, there was a visual, there was a visual transformation, one of sight. Spiritually, he believed and lived a certain way. Then suddenly, from one moment to the next, his belief and his lifestyle was transformed to another. I love how Luke, how Luke, the author, describes it. And he does an amazing job. Verse 18, just in case you missed it. He says, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received this sight at once. And then it says, and he arose and was baptized. If you're taking notes, I want you to underline a word there. It's two words, and it's the word or the phrase, he arose. And if you're taking notes, you can write that phrase in your notes because I like looking at the wordage of Scripture. I like how the Scripture points important little details that we overlook at times. Notice when Paul arises. Paul only arises when he receives what? Back his sight. And, and as I read that, I started to think about myself, and I thought about some of you guys, because I do pray for you guys, and very often, and I find myself, and I could imagine you guys at times feeling down. And maybe you're feeling beat up, or, or even confused, or maybe you feel discouraged, or maybe you're just, you have no idea what's going on. But I hope you see that when God shows up, he does something so special, which is he gives his people this vision, and it's a true vision of who he is, not of what people say he is. And when he reveals himself fully to you, to him, and he calls you to live now, it's now a transformed life. It is now a life of obedience. And you can write that in your notes as we get into this. He calls you to see, to rise up and live a life of obedience from this day forward. So if your heart and if your spirit is falling, I want you to see this truth in Scripture that you can rise again, but your rising again is determined by your sight. Because if you constantly see yourself defeated, you will constantly be defeated. But if you start to see yourself as the head and not the tail, as the one who serves, the one who says I'm the beginning and the end, the author, the finisher, the one who says that holds you in his hand, the one who says the apple of the eye, the one who says who loves you so much before you even loved him. If you recognize that what you see is what you start to believe and that's what you start to become, you will start changing the way you think and see things. And that's what Paul's going through here. You rise again, but it's determined by your sight. And I've, I've experienced, I've both, ex I've, I've experienced both when, actually, I'm going to change that. I've seen great men and women. Great men and women who have fallen. Great men and women who are down. Great men and women who seem to be defeated. But then I've seen them rise from one occasion to another. And how did you get there? And how did you get up again from such hardship? And I truly believe in these two verses, and this is why. I'm going to read two verses. Write these down, it's, and you know them. It's Proverbs 24, 16 is the first one. And then it's Psalms 37, 23, and 24, the second one. So it's three verses. Let's go into this. Proverbs 24, 16 says what? For the righteous falls what? Seven times. But I love this. And he rises again. Come on, righteous people. I can't fall. I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. No, no, no. Listen, you're going to fall because you are a Christian. 
But when you fall, when you fall, notice this, the righteous, they rise again. But you don't understand, I've fallen once. Okay, well, get up, a, get up again. But I've fallen twice, get up a second time. But I've fallen three times, get up a third time. But I've fallen four, get up a fourth time. But how many times am I going to keep falling? I don't know, but the Bible says that if you've fallen seven times, get up on that eighth time. The righteous person notices it's not that he doesn't fall, but the righteous person doesn't stay falling. Totally different. Also, you're giving me an excuse to fall? No, I'm not. Don't twist the scripture. <laughs> Don't do that. That's a whole other preaching. Don't let me get into that right now. But I want you to recognize this, that the righteous person gets up again. Why do you think the righteous person gets up again? Watch this. Because he recognizes that the one that he serves is greater, and the view is greater with the one that he serves than when he's fallen and the view that he has when he's fallen. Hey, how come you keep getting up? How come you struggle and you continue to live for Christ? How come you're going through that, but you continue to preach him? Can I tell you why? Because my vision in Christ Jesus is so much greater than my vision when I'm falling. How do you do that because I know who I am in Jesus Christ my Lord. I was once blind, right? We know the song and now I will see. And, and Proverbs gives us this insight about the righteous. Look at Psalms and, and chapter 37 and what they say there. In Psalm it says that the steps of a good man, everyone say a good man. Watch what it says. You could change that word for a righteous man. They are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Did you just see that? The Lord delights in the ways of a righteous man. When you get up in the morning and you begin to walk and preach the gospel and pray for people and love on people, Christ is smiling and he said, I delight in what you're walking in. I mean, I look at that and I said, the Lord delights in the way that I walk? And he says, absolutely, because the way that you walk is what? My way. You know what they used to call Christians? Those of the way. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 24. Though he fall, though he's failed, though he's even casted down. Look at 24. He shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. How many of you could say amen? amen. You see, I believe in these scriptures, church. I believe in the promises that they hold. But I want you to know something else that I believe in. I also believe that not everyone rises. You've ever seen someone falling? Have you ever seen that they never get up? I've seen it. And I see them perish, literally, physically die because they, they physically die while they are spiritually falling. And that is the saddest thing I've ever seen. One who used to profess he knew Christ and has fallen and stays fallen and never rises up again. It saddens me for their soul. I look at this and I recognize that not everyone rises. And I look at scripture and I could look at Proverbs 24 and Psalms 37. And the only one, whose vision, the only one who rises is the one whose vision has been transformed by the relationship with Jesus Christ their Lord. How come some of you are still serving God? I hope your answer is, Pastor Rigo, because I know who Jesus Christ is. I hope it's not, Pastor Eagle, because I know who Jesus Christ is because of what you tell me. Notice the person falling in Proverbs 24 real quick. Notice that person. He's called the what? He's called the righteous. 
Notice the person who's fallen in Psalm 27. It said that he is a good man and his steps are what? Ordered by the Lord. So ready? Ananias, remember Ananias and Paul? Let's go back to that. Now we're going to get into this. He goes back to Paul. And he goes to Paul. He tells him, the Lord who appeared to you has also appeared to me. And he wants me to pray for you. And he's going to restore your sight. I want you to see how this is more than Paul receiving physical sight. Because one receiving physical sight right after he has done this. Whoa, got a little crazy One receiving physical sight right after he has experienced this blindness that he's gone through does not just cause him to preach Jesus. You've ever seen a blind man see and say, hey, Jesus Christ is Lord. Never seen that like that. The physicality of it really has nothing to do with it. What Christ was doing was this. Don't miss this because I'm going to make a point that is very important. What he was doing was he was showing Paul that once your physical eyes were open against Paul, your spiritual eyes were never going to see in the same manner again. Paul, not only am I physically healing you, but I'm doing an even greater work, and that is that I'm spiritually restoring and healing you. That's greater. And I'm going to touch on that a little bit more. Here it is. Write this down. What makes Jesus powerful, let's change that word, what makes Jesus awesome, it's not the fact that he could heal someone from all sorts of diseases. What makes Jesus powerful is that he could heal someone from all sorts of sin and death. That's the truth about Jesus Christ. Right there should have been an amen. Because I know that in this room, there was a couple people, forget that you were able to walk again, talk again, breathe again, live again, but that you're able to have an eternity with Christ Jesus when once we were perishing. The greatest miracle that God ever did was not healing you physically, but restoring and healing you spiritually. And that's what we got to see in Christ. Sometimes we search Christ for the physical things, but Christ says the heart of man is the most important, like we learned in weeks past. You see, God's powerfulness is not because of the disease and the infirmity being healed, but because of the sin and the death that man has been delivered from. And Jesus was doing something huge here. Paul, you experienced me in a way, you saw me in a way, listen, that none of your pharisaical seminary schools could have ever taught you and shown you. Because Paul studied under the greatest Bible teacher of his time. Did you know that? And yet, he was one of the blindest people of his time. He studied under one of the greatest people of the law. And Jesus says the Pharisee school of seminary could never educate you in what I'm teaching you in. No man could ever lead you to it. No book can ever teach you. No knowledge can ever give you. No power can ever surrender to you. No prestige can ever clothe you with. Paul, what you are experienced is this. Ready, church? And I need you to catch this. It's the one who has supremacy over all things and who is not confined to the law of man or the natural law or the physical law. I am the law in itself, Jesus Christ your Lord. I have supremacy I am supreme over all creation. And Paul, when you recognize me and when your vision is seen in me, I can transform you. In me, there is the ability to see things that you would never have been able to see. How many of you in Christ have been able to see things that you would have never seen without Jesus Christ in your life? And that's what he was teaching Paul. Paul, you're going to be able to do things 
that you would have never been able to do. So catch this vision of me that's going to steer you into the places that you would have never been able to go. Can I tell you this life of Paul real quick? In verse 20, it says, Paul immediately began to preach Jesus. I wrote these down in my iPad. I'm going to read them from the iPad. Watch this. I'm going to prove to you how Christ did things in Paul that Paul would have never been able to do. Paul went to places that Paul would have never been able to go. Paul spoke and did things that Paul would have never been able to speak and do. Watch this. And these are just some. I couldn't name them all. There's too many. In verse 20, he immediately preaches Christ when he never did that before in his life. Where was his seminary and theological training? He's like, I don't need it. I got Jesus in my life. But let's not even get into that. In Acts chapter 13, 6 through 11, Paul strikes a sorcerer blind for trying to turn others from the faith of Jesus Christ. Pretty cool. Hey, have you ever done that? Acts 14, 8 through 10, Paul heals a lame man since birth. Pretty cool, Paul. I've never been able to do that before, huh? Watch what I'm about to show you. If you just get the right vision, Paul, I could take you and let you do things that you would never be able to do in places that you've never seen. So let's keep going. In Acts chapter 16, verses uh, 18, he heals a demon-possessed girl in Philippi who interferes him while he's preaching and heals her and casts the demons out. In Acts chapter 19, 11 to 12, miraculous healings are done as Paul's garments being touched by people and his handkerchief is being thrown to people. Pretty cool. In um, Acts 29, 11, he brings a man back to life after he, I preached on this about a year ago, after he falls from a second story window during a late night meeting in the church. And Paul brings him back to life. He's like, chill, he's not dead. He's, watch this. Acts 28, 3 to 6. Paul, a poisonous snake, bites him. You know what Paul does? He's like, stupid snake. The Bible says he shakes the snake off and the snake, and, and after a time they see that the venom did not kill him. And you know what everyone does around that region? They all bow down and begin to worship God as a Paul. He's like, don't worship me. Worship the God that's in me. Don't try. Don't go home. And there was a pastor that died two weeks ago because he was playing poisonous snake on the altar. He got bit by the he didn't want to accept healing, uh, physical treatment. He said, hey, I'll tell you what, God's going to heal me. And he died. Don't go home and play with a poisonous snake. I want you to understand that God was in the perfect will of God when this was happening. And God was protecting him. One of the brothers in the church, because I have a great relationship, says, hey, something to try next Sunday. I said, absolutely not. <laughs> Test not your God. <laughs> Pray for that man's church that they see clearly. And then it says in Acts 28, 7 and 8. Paul heals sick people all throughout Malta. Come on. Come on. Someone tell me. Someone tell me after we read some of those things that Paul did. I just read them. You tell me that Paul had a vision like an ordinary person. Come on. Tell me that. You tell me that because I'll tell you you're wrong. Paul was so different. Can I tell you something today? Can I say it boldly? You are different. And you are called to be different. See, our sight is in Jesus Christ. Where's your sight? Our vision is transformed, has it? And just like Paul, we are called to be lifted up, to arise again, and to what? Live out to what our eyes see and believe spiritually. To what our spirit truly believes. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that people can get saved in your family? Answer that, yes or no. Okay. Are you walking in that truth today? Some of you are like, no, I don't ask me to do that. Can you come to my house and preach to my family? 
we can all so easily say, do you believe that God can heal that person from the cancer? Yes or no? Have you walked in that truth today? This is what I'm trying to tell you. We could speak a lot of things and quote a lot of things and believe in a lot of things and say we see a lot of things because I've seen some people like that. But yet our life is not in line with that and what we believe in and what we see with our spiritual eyes. And we're like, what went wrong in that person's life? I want you to understand that. Watch this. Because I don't want you to be a church that talks the talk but does a bad job and walk in the walk. I want you to be a church that walks the walk that it talks because it believes in what it sees. It walks in what's been transformed in. And it now declares that Jesus is Lord. And it does not matter what anything else shows you. You know what your vision is in Jesus. I've seen so many Christians that do an amazing job talking, but they're so poor in walking it. The greatest church in the Christian realm that I've seen is those who are being persecuted, those in third world country, because they have nowhere else to run but to Jesus. I just want you to long for him that much and see what God can do in your life. And and, and here we are standing in an amazing little room here, but I want us to recognize this truth. Does our lives live out what our spirit believes in? In Acts 26, it says, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. What happened to Paul was he began to walk in obedience from that in which Christ has showed him. I'm going to ask, I'm going to say a question, I'm going to answer it. Here it is. What is the only acceptable response to God's plan? What is the only acceptable response to God's plan. You know the answer? The answer is obedience. If God has given you a vision, if God has brought forth a transformation, then God calls out for a life of obedience unto that vision that he has shown him. It's not like, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting? Now you see, go preach the gospel. And then he turns around and says, nah, I decided to take another job. God says, no. When I call my saints, they now live a life of obedience. No excuses, no and, if, or buts. It is the only acceptable response to the vision that God has given us. So you mean to tell me that's why I'm called to be and remain obedient when circumstances don't make sense? Yeah, stay obedient. Can you say that? Remain obedient. When threats are spoken against me, remain what? When harm is out to get me, remain what? In all things, we have but one acceptable response to God's plan, to God's vision that he's given us, and that is remain obedient. It's the only way that this will be possible. And the only way that you will stay obedient is if your vision in Jesus Christ is clear. I wrote this down, and I want you to catch this in your heart. Sometimes we look at our circumstances in our life But I want to say this to you. It's this, ready? It's not necessarily what we see that changes. But it's how we see what we see that changes. My students were asking me, Mr. F, do you like what you do here? And I looked at them. This was one of my hours. And I looked at them on Thursday. And I said, I'm going to be very honest with you guys. Can I do that? And they said, yeah. You know, we asked you a question. And I said, this is my sixth year working here. For, six, for five years, I could not stand walking into this place. And I told my students, this is the first year that I actually love coming to work here. 
I don't wake up stressed out. I don't wake up, oh my God, I'm actually cool. When I go home, I'm not stressed out, confused, crying on the way home because I don't want to be working. I'm actually happy. My wife asked me how I was working. I said, everything was great. I don't have nothing to complain about. And, I said, and they said, well, what happened to you? How come you didn't like it the first five years? I said this, ready? Nothing really changed. Some of you are still knuckleheads. Some of you are great. I go, that didn't change. But it's how I saw it that changed. And when my vision and what I saw changed, how I saw it, my life began to become more joyous. I want you to catch that today because for some of you, that's a revelation that you've never caught in your life. Some of you are stuck in such a rut and you stay miserable. And that rut might never change. But I'll tell you what God can change. It's how you see that rut and why he's called you to that rut. My job is not a rut. I used to think it was, but now I figured it's the greatest blessing in my life. But I want you to know this today. I was, I would ask my wife, I'm not even lying to you, dude. I would cry at times on the way home because I was so burned out. I was so stressed out. I had such a headache every single day. For the first time in six years, I have not gone home burned out once, and I've added to my life. I've added a child now, and I'm not even burned out. I'm not stressed out. I haven't even cried on the way home because I don't want to be there. And I asked my wife one time when we were talking among people, I said, Nancy, do you, have you noticed that this year I have not complained about my job? And I probably shared this to you on a Sunday before. And she looks at me, she goes, it's true, you haven't complained. And I said, because I'm trying to see things different from a different perspective with a different vision. And if we just saw things the way Christ sees them, you might enjoy the circumstances that you're in a whole lot more. Man, if you could just catch that truth today. Hey, you think Paul wanted to be chained? But he's like, what? I rejoice in my chains. Whether I have them or I don't, I rejoice in Jesus. Whether I live or die, hey, I'm good. And like, Paul, how can you bask in death while you also bask in life? He's like, are you serious? Because I don't see things the way you see things. What makes, what makes the difference between that obedient follower of Jesus Christ than the one that is just trying to make it? The one that continues to be obedient and that walk in Christ sees things the way that Christ sees it. And the one that's struggling, have you ever noticed this? Is the one, like I have so many times, who's not seen the things the way Christ has called me to see them. It'll help you out, man. It's a truth in Scripture to have his sight. See, it's okay if I don't see like you. Because I might have different vision than you. You've ever spoken to someone and they have a faith the size of a hot air balloon? And it's just floating, like, how do you have so much faith? And they just look at you and say, I don't see things the way you see things. I want to turn to 2 Kings. And I'm going to get ready to end because I'm going to show you a clip, a powerful clip of a movie from 1999. In about five minutes, I'm going to show you a clip. And I'm going to relate that clip to our spiritual life. I hope you really, really grab the, the truth of that clip. Spiritually, what I got out of it. In 2 Kings chapter 6, anyone ever heard of Elisha with an S? He's the prophet, right? And the Syrians are going to kill Israel. Israel is God's people. Because Israel is God's people, that's a problem to God. Do you guys know this? That when the enemy messes with you, that's a problem to God because you're God's people. Amen? 
And when the Syrians rose up to attack and kill God's people, it says that the king of Israel would plot and plan, we're going to be there at such and such time, on such and such day, and do such and such thing. It said that Elisha, who was not even there in the same room that the king was dreaming in, was with the people of Israel. And he went to the king of Israel. And he said, king, the Lord showed me that your enemies are going to attack you at such and such place, in such and such way. So be ready. And the king would say, thank you, prophet Elisha. And he would send one of his delegates, one of his army men, to stand in the place where the Syrians were going to be at before the Syrians ever get there to show the Syrians, I know you're looking for me. Isn't that weird? So guess what the king of Syria does? He goes back home and he freaks out. He says, how is it that the Jewish people continue to know where I'm going to attack them in and at the time that I'm going to attack them in? One of the guys stands up and says, sir, can I talk? He's like, what is it? They have this prophet. I don't know if you've heard of him. His name is Elisha. And he sees things. Man, I wish someone could say that about me. I know this brother, man. His name is Regal. And he sees things. What do you mean he sees things? He sees things the way God sees them. So he says, bring Elisha to me. So they go to grab Elisha. And a mighty, mighty army goes to attack right where Elisha's at. And it's surrounding him over the mountains. Elisha has a servant, right? A buddy, a little a young man he's training. An apprentice, better said. And as the apprentice is there, he wakes up one morning and he says, Oh my God, they're going to kill us. Oh my God. They're gonna... And he starts to get worried, so worked up. Watch this. Don't miss this. He runs into Elisha in verse 15, chapter 6 of 2 Kings. It says, And when the servant of the man of God arose early and he went out, there was an army, and the army was surrounding the city with horses and chariots. How many of you think that's a problem? I do. If I wake up and I see someone surrounding my house with guns and bombs and masks, 911, I have a problem. I think I'm going to die at any minute. Can you please send an army over here? That's a big problem. And his servant said to Elisha, notice the explanation point. Alas, my master, what shall we do? Hey, real quick question. Do you think he's worried? I do. Master, wake up. Wake up. And you almost see Elisha like, what the heck's your problem, man? He's like, they're going to kill us. And watch what unfolds here. Elisha stands up and says, hey, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Can we stop for a second? Can we stop? For those that are with us are more than with them. You know what the servant did right here, right? He's like, we're in a tent. And I don't know if you've looked around, Elisha, but no one's with us. Okay? And I just went outside this tent, and I recognize that there are thousands of people with them. So what in the world do you mean that those who are with us are more than those who are with them? Because what you see and what you say make absolutely no sense to me. Have you ever had a deep walk with someone who's just connected to God and you thought you were? 
and they start to unveil the scriptures to you, and you're like, dude, I never saw that. And they don't worry about it. Just learn this, because I see things that you don't see. Verse 17, Elisha prays, and he says, Lord, open up this young man's eyes so that he would see. Stop, don't keep reading, don't get spoiled now. 15 and 16, there's a big problem. The apprentice says, Elisha, you've lost your mind. Have you looked around us? There's no one here. Have you looked up to the mountains? There's everyone there, and they're going to kill us. There's a big problem. And Elisha looks at him and says, see, my servant, I don't see like you. My vision is not yours. You see, my son, your vision impaired, and I've been there, but my vision has been repaired. And today's message is titled, Vision Repair. Now let's get ready to get into the message. I'm just playing. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back. On my calendar, do not go back to this church, new life. All right. It was just a good point to put that in there. But my vision has been repaired. And Elisha prays. And he says, Lord, open up the eyes of this young man. Watch what he says. Now we could keep reading together. That he will see. And watch what the Lord does in verse 17. Ready? Everyone, say this part with me. Then the Lord, what? Opened his eyes. When he opened the eyes of the young man, what does it say next? And he saw. And behold, what, he, what did he see, church? He saw on the mountain, the mountain was full of what? Horses. And what else? Chariots. And what else? Fire. Where? Bring it, enemies, because what you don't recognize is that when you come to harm or attack or to destroy, my God is protecting me from the north to the south to the east and the west. Though you don't see it, I see things the way God sees it. The young man was perplexed. The young man was stressed out. Oh, Elisha, we're going to die. He said, can you shut up and finish your eggs? We're not going to die. We're not going to die. Because if you just saw things the way God has said it, you would recognize you would live the way God has called you to live. Lift up your chin, puff up your chest, walk up in righteousness, confront those enemies, because the battle never belongs to you, apprentice. The battle belongs to the Lord. Get your eyesight right. Come on, church. Man, if you just grab that revelation and you just understand that the way God sees your children is the way that you see your children is totally different. The way God sees your job is different the way you see your job. The way God sees your marriage is different the way you see your marriage. The way God sees your friendships is different the way you see your friendships. Put on the physical. Take off the physical. Put on the spiritual eyes of Jesus Christ, your Lord. Sorry, I got carried away. Man, I was going to try to make this message all screaming once. I was doing good. Guys, this is so important. Because when I, when I see the apprentice, he was never physically blind. So how can 2 Kings tell me, chapter 6 tell me, that the Lord opened up his eyes and he saw if he was never physically blind in the first place? There's only one answer, church. 
Because God was never talking about his physical sight. God was revealing to us today that I'm dealing with the spiritual sight. What good is it if I strengthen your bones and I cause you to breathe again and live again? What good is it if I cause you to be great again, but yet your soul never sees the things that I've called it to see? See, God says, I'm not worried about the physical appearance of man. And I'm not worried right now. If right now, right now, I could hear your 20, if you don't have 20, 20 and all that stuff. But right now, I'm not too concerned with your physical sight. What I am more concerned with is, do you see the things that I've laid in front of you, behind you, and all around you? If you could just see the way that I see things, how do I do that? By, by and in and through the word of God, you would be able to live your life a whole lot different. And you'll never look at those things with your eyes again, but you'll begin to see them with the eyes of Christ, through the lens of the gospel. And this is so important because maybe you're here today and you're not physically blind. I know some people that almost are and it's, it's rough, but, but you're here and there's no spiritual vision. Your eyes haven't been opened to the things of God in a long Come on, be honest with me. When was the last time you truly spent time in worship, like, like you and God? When was the last time you, you really spent just, just salivating over this word, just you and God? When was the last time you fasted and prayed? I'm being serious, come on. Just you and God. When was the last time you really touched someone with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Just you and God. I'm, I'm really talking about a spiritual thing here. When Are you dry? Are you, are, you, are, you, are you like that fig tree that there's no life in you, that's just been cursed out of you? Do your eyes see things that are, that, are, that are not there as if they were, or are you just dry and you don't see the things God has called you to see? Because your eyes, we look at scripture, can be open again for me to see. And I know this, that when I look at scripture, that when I see things the way God's called me to see them, I will never live in the same way that I'm living in right now. So what do you got to do to live different? See things the way God sees them. Believe in his biblical truth. Live in his biblical truth. Act out that biblical truth. And you will rise again. How many of you can say amen? I'm going to finish. And as this claim, the worship team just slowly come up. But we're going to turn off the lights in a second. We're going to play a video and grasp what this young man is saying. It's a young man, and he's talking. And as he's speaking, he's traumatized. Because his whole life, as a little kid now, he's starting to see people show up. But I need you to catch this. It's people that are not there physically. So he looks at this man, and he has a secret that he's keeping away from him. And as he's keeping away this secret, he can't hold it anymore. And he says, I have a secret. Can I tell you my secret now? And the man says, absolutely. What is it? And he says to him, my whole life, I'm here as a little kid, and I'm traumatized. Let me tell you why. And he says, because I see dead people. <laughs> I look at a clip, and I laugh because he's like, what the heck you mean you see dead people? He's like, I do. I see dead people. And watch the interaction of words that takes place between this young man and this grown man as he is telling him a secret in his life that he sees that the other people do not see around him. Grasp that. I'm going to apply it to our life spiritually, and we're going to close off in prayer. Let's listen to this real quick.
Not working. One last try. Is it muted? Speak, young man. Yeah, he just spoke. He missed it. You gotta be kidding. All right. Everyone say, oh, it's not Rudy's fault. Is that gonna work? We got hungry people here. All right, I'll just send it. Ready? In this passage, just quite this to me. Look, wave at me, whistle at me if it works. In this passage, once the, upon a time there was this. He's so you're sweating, man. He's sweating. Play. Ever since then, things have been different. Can you fast forward it to 140? This wonderful little boy. Really cool little boy. That other one, too. Just leave it. Put it up. Hey, just leave it. grass that with the weird captions in the bottom. It says, see, strike. Don't worry about it. You're safe. <laughs> but in that scene, the young man says, I see dead people. That's my secret. And he says, they're walking around like regular people. I don't know if you caught that. They only see what they want to see. They don't know they're dead. Bruce Willis asks in that clip, he says, how often do you see them? And the young kid says, all the time. They're everywhere. 
They're everywhere. And then he says this. He says, you won't tell anyone my secret, right? See, I don't know if you guys grabbed this, but as I end, I wanted to end with that clip. Because I looked at that clip again, and I, when I was doing this message, I remembered the sixth sense. And I remembered the little boy and the little gift that he had, and I don't want that gift. Because I don't believe I'm going to see dead people. I think I'm going to see spiritual things. And he looks at this man and he says, I see dead people. And they're all walking around. And they walk around like if they're regular people. They only see what they want to see. And they don't know what they're dead. And you know what stabbed my heart? So that sounds like so many of us. That sounds like so many believers. They're walking around like regular people. But they don't know that they're dead. And you might be here and you say, well, what do you mean by that? Because they only see what they want to see. And I think that one of the biggest dangers in life is if we walk around like everything is regular and we only see things the way we want to see them. Eventually, just like this young boy saw, we're just going to walk around and we're not even going to notice this, but we're going to walk around dead without knowing He says, how often do you see them? He says, all the time, they're everywhere. And I believe that spiritually. I believe that there's a lot of people that say they see. I believe there's a lot of people that say they are. I believe there's a lot of people that say that they believe. But just like this young boy, they're walking around like regular people. But yet, they live their lives conformed only to see what they see. And because of that, they don't know that they're dead. And they're everywhere, walking around, flashing things that are of Christ, but yet they don't even know they're dead. And I pray that this right here is none of us. That none of us here are walking around like dead people when God says that I've come to give you life and life to the fullness. Christ did not come to bring death, but to life. And I hope that you don't see things the way you want to see them, but... You see them the way that God wants you to see them. And just like this little boy, I'm going to change it because he says to Bruce Willis, you won't tell anyone my secret, right? I'm going to tell everyone the secret, and it is start looking at things the way Christ has shown you and taught you to look at those things. Be obedient to the call that God has called you to walk in. Live in that today. Live in that truth today and maybe what you're looking at doesn't change but I promise you how you look at it will change in Jesus Proverbs 29 18 it says a people without vision they perish the message says if people can't see what God is doing they stumble all over themselves How many of you are stumbling all over yourselves because you don't see what God is doing? But then it says, but when they attend 
to what he's revealing to them, there is where they are most blessed. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And today, if you feel like I would, I, Lord, like Paul, need to be transformed. I, Lord, like Elisha, his apprentice needs to be transformed. Like this young man in this clip, I don't want to walk around seeing things that I want to see. Consider myself normal. Because there is the place where I start to perish. That's where I start to die. But allow me to see things, Lord, according to your word in the way that you see it. Give me strength. Because Proverbs teaches me, Lord, to have vision. Because those without vision stumble, perish. But the one in which that vision and in which that call is revealed to, the one who is obedient in it, finds happiness in it, rejoices in it, and is most blessed in it. I pray that around this room, that though things might not change before us, what we see might not change, but I pray around this room how we see those things may radically begin to change, starting right now. If that's you right now, and you know God has called you to see in those ways, open up your heart and say, Lord, transform, repair my vision. I want my vision to be repaired. So if that's you, and we sing this song, if you need prayer, I invite you to come up and we will pray for you. But right there where you're at, can you open up your heart? Can you surrender this to the Lord and say, Lord, transform my spiritual vision. Let me see with your eyes. Let me walk your walk. Consume me on this day. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord.
Surrender. I surrender. 